According to the US Bureau of Labor Statistics Employment Projections Program, as of 2019, there were 316,300 mechanical engineers in the US alone. The group is expected to grow at a rate of 4% between 2019 and 2029. The estimated 12,400 will enter a work environment that will be different than what current engineers experience today. Let's join Remy Duquette and Stephen Ferguson as they explore how artificial intelligence will shape the engineer of the future. One thing is for sure, change is coming, and with it, the promise of an even brighter tomorrow. In today's episode, we're going to delve into the future of engineering, and more importantly, we're going to explore what the engineer of the future will look like. So today, I'm joined by Remy Duquette, who's the Vice President of Innovation and Industrial AI at Maya HDT. Hiya, Remy. How are you doing? Very well. How are you doing, Stephen? Good, thank you. So eventually, we're going to talk about the engineer of the future, but I wanted to start off by talking about the engineer of the past. Now, I don't know how long you've been in engineering, but I'm thinking that the engineer of the past is looking a bit like guys like you and me, Remy. So can you tell us a bit about your background and how you got here? Well, my background is probably not atypical in terms of engineering. Uh, in the 90s, I did my uh, engineering degrees and graduated from McGill and, and University of Toronto and went into aerospace engineering. So that really was, was my background and stayed the course for probably about a decade in, in aerospace engineering and then moved on to software engineering world developed all sorts of, of funky and fun applications. And now I'm in charge of innovation at, at my IHCT. We develop, you know, multiple software solutions for, for different engineering domains, not just uh, space, although we did start in space, but we uh, now are developing software for about 12 to 15 different industries uh, with, with experts in, in each of them. And in the last decade, I really moved on to AI and machine learning uh, as a practice within our company. So this is really a an evolving world, and I can see it's rapidly changing, and, and the pace certainly in the future is probably going to be a little bit faster than, than it was in the last three decades. But uh, that, that's been kind of my, my, my road to where I am today. So, and it's, it's changing in a really, really rapid pace, isn't it? And I think it's not, I mean, we're going to talk about engineering here, but it's affecting everybody as well. So look at like my kids who are like eight and nine at the moment, and you think, you know, in 10 years time, when they'd normally be learning to drive, in 10 years time, people might not be doing that anymore. That might be a completely redundant skill. It's kind of a rite of passage for people like us. And so you can see these kind of whole swathes of existing skills, which might just disappear because they're going to be taken over by AI. Is that what you see is happening? Well, so certainly, as you mentioned, there, there are some skills that, that will be made obsolete by some of the new technologies that are emerging. Some are a little bit scary thoughts, and we'll have to see how they <laughs> how they evolve and if it's as rapid as, as we think it will be. But certainly, there will be some some rapid change. And yeah, I see my nine-year-old as well, and you know, she's at a you know, summer camp coding today, and it's like, well... I didn't have a computer at her age because uh, computers were starting up, but not really widespread at the time. So it, it's kind of an interesting thought to see and uh, how rapid these changes will, will occur. But yes, uh, I'm, I'm certainly uh, bracing for, for a lot more of those changes. And that's why I think the future of engineering is, is important and a really critical topic to address because 
the engineers we train today, we can't over-specialize them on, on specific technologies because we know those may not be available in five years' time because they keep on changing. So how do you think that AI is going to affect future engineers' jobs? In two ways, right? I mean, AI is really a technology, a new, a new way of dealing uh, with data and, and learning from data. But I mean, engineers have used data in the past, whether it's in controllers, you know, in the manufacturing uh, space or in operations. So it's not really a, a new topic. It's been made uh, a lot more powerful by the compute that we have and the amount of data that we can process and that we, we have uh, at our fingertips, whether it's from telemetry, real-time telemetry, or additional data that we can, uh, sources that we can tap into. But AI will change engineers in, in a couple of ways. One, in augmenting them and augmenting their uh, capability. Of course, it's going to change the way that we think of a design cycle in engineering or a product. In the end, if you look in the past, engineers typically would conceptualize something new, optimize it, and then produce it. And once it's out the door, they would kind of forget about it uh, by and large. Nowadays, that product sends back telemetry back home, so to speak, and tell you new things in the environment that you may or may not have put in your design in the first place. So it brings new ways to think about how to iteratively design and put forward some interesting new ways of coming up with amazing new products that we couldn't conceive before. So that feedback loop that's a lot more rapid and real time and giving us as an in engineers a lot more tools and an interesting information to deal with is definitely going to change the way we go about our job. That, that's clear. Do you think that current engineering educations reflect that as well? Because remember when I was at university, which which is like 30 years ago, that's a long time, but it was very prescriptive. Yeah, We were having to find the solutions to problems that had a solution. Then you get out into industry and you're trying to solve difficult problems that might not have a solution or require an innovative solution. So do we think that the engineering graduates today are having the correct training to play a part in this future of engineering? You know, certainly, and I've uh, been on, on many interesting discussions and conferences with a lot of people that are teaching our kids engineering uh, today. And it's, it's quite interesting in terms of, yeah, in the past, the focus was really more, as you mentioned, in, in problem solving skills and, you know, I'm going to call them mad math, you know, uh, skills, uh, technical knowledge and logical reasoning and thinking and that kind of skills. And as we look kind of to, to the future, we're, we're at a crossroad where generalization versus specialization is, is what they, they, they have to grapple with. <laughs> and, you know, it's always a similar in a way, an analogy to AI, right? If you over train and, and over specialize in a, a little model, well, at some point it's, it just does not generalize very well <laughs> and it can't adapt very well. So it's the same thing for training engineers in the way now where you have to give them other skills like communication skills and team player skills. Because in the past, you perhaps in a mechanical environment would deal with structural dynamics and, and, and maybe temperature heat transfer type problems. Now you have to deal with mechatronics and wire harnesses and all sorts of things that perhaps in the past didn't entangle themselves uh, as much as, as they do today in, in every product. So the attention to those kinds of 
creative skills and communication skills and natural curiosity skills and constant learning and relearning new topics, I think is really where our educational system is, is going, fortunately, because they've realized that they, they can't over-specialize someone because it, they're not, they're going to make them obsolete very quickly. And, and they're about, you know, making uh, these engineers being resilient in, in the long term. So I, I think there is a wave of change in the education system, but it's still a bit lagging, of course. Same way in industry as well, because we were faced with these new technologies that are evolving at a pace that we have not seen. You know, if I had told you <laughs> that we would be contemplating, you know, self-driving cars 10 years ago, you would have laughed at me. But now we're getting closer and closer to that that reality and people are not laughing anymore and they're investing a significant amount to make it happen. So so that that's really the point there on specialization versus generalization of engineers. And and yeah, it's it's definitely moving from pure mad mad skills to really adaptive skills that you know will make you a, a really sound engineer that will be able to to evolve with the pace of technology and, and adapt with new technologies as new tools really to use in your daily job. So I, I guess proper engineers as well, because I guess guys like you and me, I mean, I'm an aero engineer like you, and kind of I left university and got a job in computational fluid dynamics, and that's all I ever did. Yeah, I learned how to use a specific tool and spent the next 10 years being an expert and using that tool. Sat in the same office as people doing structural analysis, yeah, and I kind of understood what they did from my, from my university education, but I had no real insight. And, and I think you get the feeling that kind of, all those simple problems, which, which were just fluid mechanics or just structural mechanics, have been solved. And the next generation of engineering innovation is going to depend on people who can do all of those things and communicate the results, because that's really important too, isn't it? Because solving a problem is not enough because you have to be able to communicate the solutions to your problems to stakeholders who are probably not specialists in CFD or FEA or any of these other tools that people build their careers around. 100% on point in terms of in the past one domain and specialization in whether it's CFD or heat transfer. I mean, my background was really in structural dynamics and for spacecraft, but it was very, very, you know, narrow niche of skills really that I applied for, for at least a decade back then. But uh, now we're talking about a lot more complex interactions, multi-physics solutions. Like uh, Maya, we develop a lot of multi-physics software and solutions, and we have to think and, and put you know in mind those those very intricate workflows from the mechanical side, but electrical side, and mechatronics and systems engineering, and and all the rest of it that needs to come together so that. That specialization may still exist in some domain, right? I'll give you an example of the nuclear industry. Well, having a nuclear engineer is probably a really good thing <laughs> because you need, you need specialized people in those, in those domains to make it work. But in other domains, in many and most other domains, you will not need those specialization, but you'll need people that are more general and team players that can interact with multiple people that, yeah, each have a certain degree of specialization, but the key characteristics that will they will bring to the table is being able to augment themselves and work together as a team and work with new technologies to augment themselves as well. So not just human being, you know, as team players, but AI as a way, you know, whether it's an engineering chatbot or an engineering 
multi-physics optimization or generative adversarial network that will, you know, give you some some new samples and new ways of, of designing. Those are all now tools and people skills that you're going to put to contribution in, in your work. I mean, I've always felt that the problem with kind of the sort of engineering that I do is you spend your whole career in trying to kind of drive the software as much as anything else and not enough time doing real engineering. And I'm guessing that AI is going to free people up, free engineers up to do proper engineering, yeah, making decisions, giving insight, and not just be, um, we used to call them mesh monkeys in our day, but just being people who drive the software, you know, because that, that's how I made my career. And I, I kind of regret that I did spend not enough time solving real engineering problems and just solving part of them. Is that is that how you see things going to go? I definitely see that as, as a trend. And, and certainly AI as a technology does bring those insights, uh, you know, kind of bubble to the surface, those insights that may have been kind of hidden in, in the data or in the software, as you say, uh, per se. And, and so instead of having engineers and, and humans going through, uh, you know, and sift through all of, of this, uh, they can, relatively speaking, it's still a you know, newer field in, in even uh, today, but I, I know it's, it's expanding very rapidly, but this idea of generative type AI programs that will give you the best couple of solutions and then you will apply your engineering judgment to pick the right one. I mean, there's still, it's still going to be a probability game, right? Where AI brings about, you know, what's, you know, most probable and, and people need to, to think in a different way <laughs> in those environments. But I, I do see that, that trend certainly uh, increasing in, in, in the future. And also support the ridiculous solutions that are not feasible, because I think I mean, maybe that will, will go away as AI improves. But at the moment, sometimes, you know, you go through some sort of optimization study and you'll see at the end, you get some brilliant solutions, but also some completely unfeasible solutions. And I guess we still rely today on engineers sometimes to spot the things that are completely unfeasible. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not just unfeasible, but, uh, yeah, dangerous sometimes. But yeah, you know, you, you can see and you, you see it in, in all sorts of things. And that's why AI needs to be understood and harnessed in the proper way. AI, again, is purely and simply a new tool in terms of its power. It's been there in terms of algorithms for machine learning and deep learning has been there for now two decades. So we, we've seen it evolve in, in brilliant ways in some ways, but in other ways, we see that, you know, based on the data that you use, if you use uh, Twitter and a bunch of things uh, to train a chatbot, well, you might train a chatbot that's not so ethical <laughs> or not so correct in, in the way that, that it uses language. And, and you see some of the even the most the more recent uh, things in the last year that have put trillions of new increased neural networks and neurons in, in those big uh, AI models for, for language processing. And you can still see that it doesn't get it right uh, in, in many instances. So I think engineers will be augmented by, by this technology and the technology will be kind of put to good use by engineers by using it properly. And that, that's the key, really. It's that, that combination. And I see it for at least the decades to come as really that combination of humans being augmented by technology and technology being used in proper way in augmenting people. So that, that's really my, my hope and, and what I'm seeing in any way as, as a trend moving forward for engineering practices using AI. 
and not forgetting, of course, that, that human engineers often make bad decisions and sometimes you're going to need AI to pick up those decisions as well. I think that happens anyway. And I think a proliferation of automated driving systems, which we're going to see in the next 10 years, is probably going to demonstrate that humans are not really good drivers and that actually AI systems are, are rather better. I've listened to a really excellent podcast by uh, Malcolm Gladwell talking about the Waymo cars. And he was basically saying that the reason why pedestrians don't run out in the road because they they don't trust drivers not to run them down but as soon as we get these this kind of next generation of automated ultra safe vehicles that always stop for the pedestrians and never hit pedestrians and it's going to change the contract between pedestrians and the cars themselves and to the to the extent that you'd just be able to walk out in front of cars because you're never going to get run over and once you can do that then the pedestrians kind of own the road again as well you know so there's going to be some really intriguing changes i think in everyday life, which are down to AI. So, um, yeah, it's, it's an exciting future, isn't it? It is. It is very exciting. And I, I, uh, I listened to that podcast as well. And, and it is very interesting to see how it will evolve. But we also have to be uh, recognizing that AI is, is fed through data, right? And sensor data. And sensors are not, uh, let's say, 100% without failures. So although there will be built, you know, redundancy built in those, how we feed those AI models, there's always a probability, a low probability, but a probability that, that these things will go awry, not because the model uh, is, is wrong, but because the input might get a little bit mangled. If you think of, you know, crossing the street in front of a car, I think it will take a little bit more time before people realize, okay, well, it's not just the AI model. It's also the sensors on that specific car that you're walking in front of. And so people need to be still a little bit cautious, not because AI is not better than humans at that task, because AI is, but it's been proven uh, multiple times over now, but it's still going to rely on, on sensors that could get faulty. So we need to be at least sensitive and careful. So we're not advocating anybody running out in front of automated cars just yet. Yeah, we'll give it a little way. No, before not yet. No, not yet. Yeah. <laughs> so I just want to go back to that, this idea of kind of lifelong learning. Because as I was researching this as well, I came across a talk by a guy called James Plummer, who's I think a former dean of engineering at Stanford. His talk is called Engineers of the Future Will Not Resemble the Engineers of the Past. And he basically has this little bit where he says, careers are becoming global and unpredictable lifelong learning is essential which is kind of agreeing with what you're saying as well and, and he made this really kind of controversial statement maybe not controversial but challenging statement saying that the half-life of en engineering knowledge is three to five years which really makes you think because you know lots of us spend at least three years of our life at university and if if our engineering knowledge is is moving that quickly it's worrying for engineers do, do you think that the half-life of engineering knowledge is more than three to five years or do you think he's got it about right <laughs> It is a controversial statement, of course, and it's it's there to uh, yeah engage in conversation. I think that you know the engineering knowledge is still uh, going to last more in terms of if you teach the right thing. Of course, if you if you teach a specific technology, then yes, I agree with that statement. That you know if you over specialize in a specific whatever it is, uh, software that you use for AI it may or may not be relevant five years from now. So that that if you align the engineering skill with the technology that you teach, then that's correct. But there are fundamental 
principles that won't change. I mean, the physics on our planet has not changed for, for many decades, and it's not about to change, at least not rapidly. <laughs> and so in terms of becoming a craftsman, in terms of understanding how radiative heat transfer or airflow or temperature distribution or dynamics of, of systems, you know, impact the design, that by and large, you know, is, is not going to change all that much. Now, what changes is, is the way you address the dynamic of a system. If you use, you know, generative adversarial network, or if you're going to do a 3D printing technique to manufacture the component, it brings all sorts of new possibilities of structures that you probably have never seen in your life because it's so organic and, and funky looking. And down to your shoes, where you put sensors in your shoes to to run faster and all that. So it's, it, of course, things are are changing in terms of how they materialize in the real world. World, but the physics and the understanding of physics and, and logic is still is still required, and that that is not about to change. So I think we have to take that comment with a grain of salt in terms of I think he's he's partially right, but he's also partially wrong because there is a 50, 60 percent of your knowledge that will be reusable because it's it's really building on bricks of logics and physics that that will not change so you're saying we still need the hard skills but we just got to build all these soft skills on top right correct yes and the adaptation right and he's right in terms of becoming a craftsman is also augmenting in terms of and, and shortening in, in terms of span right it used to be that it took a lifetime to become a craftsman at anything whereas today with all the training that we have and the techniques and the technology that we have, we can augment ourselves to become maybe not a craftsman, but an expert or a specialist at many things over a lifetime. So, you know, in terms of becoming a craftsman or an expert, I, I think what he's saying is also, you know, in, in reverse, equally true that we will perhaps master four or five things in our lifetime instead of one. And that's because of, of the augmentation of either AI or other technologies that, and data that will help us uh, become more uh, quickly uh, experts in, in any given field. Which makes engineering careers seem even more exciting than they are already, I think. have all these extra opportunities to learn and evolve. One thing that occurred to me, actually, is when we're talking about the engineers of the future, I, I realised that I think next year I will have graduated 30 years ago. So I think, you know, when we talk about the engineers of the future, like I've, so I've done about 30 years, maybe I've got another 10 years left. But when we talk about the engineers of the future, actually, those are the engineers that we're training today. Because if you're, you know, if you graduate next year, basically, you're still going to be working in 2060 or maybe even 2070, by which time the world will have changed completely. You know, with all this climate change stuff going, or climate emergency stuff going on, maybe we won't be here around here at all. So I think we have to start teaching these skills now, don't we? This is, this is, uh, I guess it happens naturally, but the future starts now. It does start now, and actually it starts with even us, right? You you and me, I mean, I, I've graduated two decades ago now, so it's 20 years into <laughs> the industry and, and doing fun stuff. But I keep on learning, right? Every year I make a point of, of learning, uh, uh, you know, whether it's small or big, a skill, a new skill uh, to put in my arsenal of skills. And, you know, as I hate to quote someone like Einstein, but, you know, once you stop learning, you start dying. And, and that's really, I think, what needs to uh, push all of us forward is to continuously 
learn and continuously upskill ourselves to stay relevant in our fields and, and continue to, to have fun doing all sorts of interesting engineering with the new tools and technologies that become available and as they become available. So that, that's certainly a, a great way of, of, of looking at it. Uh, but certainly it starts today in terms of the new kids that are in school. We need to give them the general foundational hard skills, but teach more of the, the soft skills so that they can adapt and be a lot more resilient than we, we are. Which actually brings me on to my final question. So, yeah, we talked about the engineers of the future who, who are training now, but for guys like me and you, yeah, kind of dinosaurs, are we on the verge of extinction? Or I think we can all continue to learn and adapt, can't we? I think that's part of being an engineer. Yeah, I think we're all practical, you know, beings. And if you're like me, you like toying around with all sorts of stuff. I mean, that's, that's why we went. I mean, if you went into engineering for the right reasons, you're, you're probably, uh, you know, someone who's very curious and curiosity means that you're probably going to upskill yourselves and train yourselves into all sorts of new topics that are emerging, whether it's, you know, collaborating with robots. I mean, clearly robots didn't exist when we were training back 30 years, 20 years ago, <laughs> or at least they were not nowhere near the shapes that they are today. And we didn't have to deal with drones and, and all sorts of machine vision components that we can deploy at scale in, in, you know, in different industrial or manufacturing environments. So yeah, I, I don't think we're going to be made obsolete if we went into the engineering profession for the right reasons, because we, we were just plain curious and had a good logical and math background to, uh, uh, to bring to the table. That's a massive relief, Remy. So I just want to say <laughs> thank you very much for joining us today and convincing us that I think the future is bright for engineers as well. So thank you very much, Remy. Um, goodbye. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.